the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. And now, here's your host, Nick Phillips. Good evening, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another edition of The Advocate. And tonight, in our first two segments, we're going to be getting an update on COVID and vaccinations and breakthrough infections. And with us uh, frequently is Dr. Ann Carroll. Dr. Carroll, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me again. Well, it's, it's been a long year and a half here we've been doing this, uh, talking about COVID. Uh, we're now into the end of July, and uh, with that being, being said, we're uh, getting vaccinated, and some people are not getting vaccinated. And uh, doc, for everyone's information, Dr. Carroll works uh, in an emergency room and is at the front line, tip of the spear as to what's going on. What is going on with COVID? Do you see much COVID, and if so, where are they coming from? Well... Um, we're still seeing COVID. Um, we're seeing COVID actually in vaccinated patients. They're testing positive. Um, we know now in Ohio, the most recent stat that I, about 83% of new cases of COVID in Ohio are the Delta variant. And um, the Delta variant is very infectious, but it's not as lethal as the original COVID. You know, to sort of give you a feel for, for what the infectivity rate is like, R not for COVID was probably an average of 2.5. I'm talking about Ohio, uh, and the Delta virus is about 3.0. R not is about 3.5 to 4. So it's far more infectious. But the good news is it's not as lethal. Uh, most people are going home. I have had to hospitalize a couple of people, but they had significant underlying uh, comorbidities. Um, and not so much that they were testing positive for COVID, but they had other issues that uh, required hospitalization. I was called the other day because they were short-staffed, and I thought, oh, we must be inundated with COVID. But I ran the board, and there were 104 patients hospitalized, but out of that, only two had COVID. So that's a good sign because last year, about half of them would have had COVID. So that part is getting better, but it's still with us. In a different form. In a, in a different form, the, the Delta variant. Uh, the Delta when, variant. When about... Yeah. Well, most people have the Delta variant. Now, when we test, we don't know whether it's the Delta variant. We just know if it's COVID positive or COVID negative. But the people who have tested it, that we know had the Delta variant, they, they really describe it as mostly like having a bad cold. You know, the, the vaccinated patients have a headache, a runny nose, sort of a sore throat, and the unvaccinated patients have all of that, plus most of them have a fever. Um, so that's how they describe it. It's, it's just a really bad cold. You know, it's interesting, are, are seeing, you know, with Delta variant, uh-huh. the ones that we're seeing an increased rate in is the age group between 5 years and 49 years. There's about two and a half times higher rate of the Delta variant than those over the age of 50. 
The question is, is it more selective for that age group or is it because the people over 50 are getting vaccinated? I don't have that answer and I haven't been able to find that answer. But I thought that was kind of, this was interesting stats. Just like when we had the pandemic with H1N1, patient population that was most affected were children. We, the adults seemed to have partial immunity to it and uh, didn't seem to um, get the disease or transmit it as easily. Is this because of the fact that we have maybe more of the older people that are vaccinated than the younger people? Um, well, that's one theory. Um, I haven't found a hardcore, but that would make sense to me. I'm a pragmatic person. Seems to me, if you had va- if you were vaccinated against a particular type of virus and you had and had some cross reactivity to a, a mutant of that virus, then you should have some protection. The uh, the, the so-called breakthrough infections, uh, infections of people who already have vaccinations. Have you seen any difference between those with the, um, the the Pfizer Moderna versus the Johnson and Johnson vaccination? No, I have not. I mean, because I ask each and every person, which vaccine? If you got a vaccine, which vaccine did you get? And uh, and it's it's all over the board. I don't see as many Johnson and Johnson because that sort of, that wasn't around as long. But Pfizer Moderna, I see a lot of uh, fully vaccinated patients who are testing COVID positive. Uh, with those huh, the, the, the people, the people then who are, are getting the breakthrough infections with COVID after they've had the uh, vaccination, what, what can one who's listening to this program, what can they expect if they become infected? Well, most people will do fine. They don't need to be hospitalized. They'll just, uh, you test them, you know, when it's, Going back to, you know, take uh, take your zinc, take your vitamin D, lots of fluids, stay away from sick people. Um, we ask them to stay home or if you have to go out to wear a mask, mask, you know. I can tell you I didn't see one case of influenza all last year, and I tested every time I tested for COVID, I tested for influenza A and B. And I think the difference is that the mask made a difference, at least with influenza. So I'm just taking that theory and transposing it into the COVID Slash Delta theory, uh, it may help. It just may help. Um, I think I think it's important that the country is opening up for many reasons. I think there are a lot of uh, a lot of people have really suffered from anxiety and depression and increased uh, incidence of drug abuse, alcoholism, suicide. All these bad things have occurred as a result of the country being shut down. So I think it's important that we reopen the country, but I think we have to be smart about what we're doing. You know, just realize that there's an invisible Mm -hmm. disease out there and we're all still prone to it, whether we're vaccinated or not, and take necessary precautions without becoming overly anxious. There's still many, many people who are terrified to leave their homes. I've never seen anything like it in over 30 years of medicine. With, with regard to uh, people who are vaccinated, I know we're talking about opening, but there's sort of an overwhelming sense that pandemic is over and that going to restaurants and going about our, our normal daily activities, returning to 2019 seems to be what people who are vaccinated uh, seem to act like. Can they still become infected with Delta, the Delta variant and be spreaders? Do they need to wear masks? Do they need to be concerned about spreading? Well, you know, when we first started getting giving the vaccine, um, I don't know if you remember, we talked about this briefly, that 
people can be colonized with COVID, and even though they wouldn't get sick from it, they could transmit the disease. And uh, this seems to be the same case with Delta. I, I want people to understand that when we have flu season, and it's seasonal in this country, the influenza vaccine is only 60% effective. So even if you had the influenza vaccine, don't be foolish enough to think that you can sit in a room filled with sick people with influenza and not take a chance of getting it. You have to use common sense. It's the same thing with COVID, I don't think, and Delta. I don't think you need to be afraid to go outside your home, but use common sense. Washing your hands is probably the single most important thing you can do. And if someone is sick, stay away from them. And now this is this is this is just what we've always done with any disease. It's just this is so prevalent globally. We've seen so much of it. And what many of us think is it's not going away. This Delta variant will mutate into something else, into a different virus, and this will continue on and on. We still have H1N1 with us. It just isn't a seasonal flu vaccine now, but uh, we're not done with COVID. Uh, I don't know that we'll ever be done with COVID, so we need to learn how to live with it and how to be smart about keeping ourselves and our families safe. Well, the Delta variant is just one in a series of variants. Uh, how likely is it that COVID will continue to uh, evolve into other variants? Oh, that I'm might sure. Be more uh, I think it's very common. I mean, the you know, the really awful part of the Delta variant is what really hit India. Um, they had the Delta variant and just millions of people. And now I just recently, they, they believe millions of people died as a result of the Delta variant in India. So whether that reflects not as uh, a rigorous uh, a vaccination program or whatever or too many people living in too small of an area and so transmissibility was much greater, I don't know, or poor hospital care. I don't have those answers, but it really um, it was terrible what happened in India. Here, we're seeing a lot of Delta, um, and people are still dying from it, but not like they did when the early stages of COVID. And I think part of that, too, is not just with the vaccination, but we're getting much smarter about how to treat these things because we just didn't know it was a novel virus. And, uh, you know, it takes time to figure out what's the best way of approaching this problem. I think we are getting a handle on it, and they've gotten some new treatments. You know, we do, you know they still use the remdesivir, but there's uh, you know for people who need oxygen. But they're coming up. They're talking about sending people home or even starting at home as outpatient management to keep people out of the hospital with like inhaled interferon. There's some studies going on now that looks like it may be very good. I mean, we use butesamine now for someone with COVID, so they're trying all sorts of different. Treatment. So um, I don't think people should be depressed about this. It is. It, we're working. We're all working our way through this disease, and we just have to be conscious of what's going on around us and protect ourselves. That's yes, all. yes. Well, let's take a short break. We're talking to Dr. Ann Carroll, a physician, works in emergency rooms and knows a lot, and she's been on our program often concerning what's going on with COVID. We're going to, we're going to be back with Dr. Carroll. We'll take a few minutes for a break. We'll be right back, so don't go away. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate.
Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. We're talking to Dr. Ann Carroll, our expert on COVID, talking about what's happening out there right in the field right now at the end of July 2021. Dr. Carroll, as always, thank you for joining us and giving us some of this up-to-the-minute information. Uh, as we're, we're talking about COVID and the Delta variant and what's still going on, uh, we have the question of people who are still hesitant about getting vaccinations. What do you tell patients who are held up or hung up on this issue of whether or not they should get vaccinations? Well, I I sit down and I talk to the individual patient and talk about their health history. I talk about the risk of getting the vaccine because I read everything. And I have to say, there's a lot of false narrative out there. So it's really hard to sort through what's true and what isn't. Um, so uh, there's a group of people that will line up and don't get anything that you give them. And that's fine. And there are other people that are, are on the on the fence and say, well, I don't know. I don't know the facts of this or that. And is it going to hurt me? Well, you know, when you look at, you know, there's some uh, evidence that in certain, uh, a teen, you know, the change group of males are developing myocarditis. It's still relatively rare, but when you hear it, you know, everyone becomes very concerned. There is quite a few deaths that have occurred as a result, were re- as reported, they say, as a result of the vaccine. But you have to go back and you have to look at what was going on. It's too, too easy to jump to conclusions. So I tell each patient that they, you know, will sit down, let's go through your health history, let's go through what's going on. And I ask them, what are your objections to getting it? You know, sometimes it's some, you know, like I heard that they put microchips in them and, you know, they're going to follow me wherever I go in the world. And I said, well, I don't think that's true, you know. <laughs> but, I mean, people have some... There's some of these fantastic theories. Right. You know, and, like and yeah, and they know it. They said, well, I, I heard it. I was Googling and I heard this or I, you know, I, I said, you can't believe now everything you hear or see. You know, you really have to go back to the authorities. And, you know, and I, I go to Hopkins, I go to Michigan, I go to Mayo, I go to Harvard, I go to these hardcore Stanford, hardcore centers and see what they're doing. They're the ones who are doing the research and have the volume of patient and illness that I need to know about. So that I can can I can share that with my patients here in Cleveland. Although we're pretty sophisticated here, but I like to go outside and, and see what else is going on and how we're dealing. I have with a question it. with regard to you mentioned false narratives. What what are some of the leading false narratives that seem to be compelling to people that you know you can really dispel? Well, I think the the problem that we're seeing now is because of the Delta variant. Um, so many people lined up and they've had, they had been fully immunized and now they're coming in sick. And now they're like, I should have never believed that this was a good thing to do. Look at this. Now I'm sick. And now they're talking about a booster. So I'm supposed to get a booster every six months. And they're like, I'm not doing that. I'm done with this. I was sick for two days with the vaccine. I'm not doing it anymore. These are the things I'm hearing. And, um, it's hard to change somebody's opinion or when they've personally experienced something. You know, they they fully grasp that this was a good thing, and then they turn around and they get sick. Uh, so we're going to well, have a battle on our hands in terms of convincing the populace that this is probably a good thing for them and for all of us. Well, well, well I heard, heard the phrase going on now is that we uh, have pretty much stopped the pandemic for those who are vaccinated. And we are left with a pandemic of the unvaccinated. 
and I would assume that if that's true, then that's going to stay that way until we reach herd immunity, which we're not quite there yet. Is well, that somewhat accurate? Well, in some of the other countries, like Israel, has an incredible vaccination rate. I think there's something like 84, 86% of their population is vaccinated. But despite that, they're seeing a, a spike in Delta variant. Um, no, they're not seeing an increased risk uh, of reported deaths from it, but they are seeing an increased number of fully vaccinated patients having uh, been positive, and it's the Delta variant. So um, it's so, not an so question. For us, it protects you. We're hoping that right. it protects you from getting severe disease, and that there's some. Well, well, that's that's the disease. point. If we look at the original, uh, you know, COVID nineteen, and if we rate that on a scale of one to ten, say that the uh, lethality of COVID nineteen or the serious reactions people were getting from COVID nineteen would be at a between an 8 and a 9 on a 10 scale. Can, can we say that the Delta variant is probably more like about a 5 or a 4? Uh, or, or even less. A, oh, yeah. Yeah, or even less. I mean, I think in, in, in our former lives, before we knew anything about COVID, I think the large majority of people that I'm seeing would not have even come to the emergency room. Uh, they're only coming because they're afraid they have COVID. In the past, they say, oh, I've got this lousy cold, and they'll just take care of it over-the-counter at home. The large, I've only had to admit two people. But, I, again, I said they have very significant comorbid uh, problems. And even if it was just a really bad cold and not a COVID-related problem, they probably would still come in because it's affecting their system that badly. But I think most people who have the Delta variant aren't that sick. At least from my from my experience. Well, that's, that's somewhat encouraging. But yeah. I want to talk about change gears a little bit here. Is that Dr. Carroll is also in the FAA world an aviation medical examiner, known as an AME, and you've been handling a number of pilots throughout this COVID thing. How's our pilot community going through this, and how are they doing now, medically speaking? Um, well, interestingly enough, they, uh, they've handled it fairly well. I've only heard, and I certainly see a lot of pilots and who know a lot of pilots, and I always ask, well, first of all, the FAA wants us to ask them and to record when they have their medical, if they've had COVID, were they hospitalized, treatment, that sort of thing. The large majority of the pilots that I've seen have not had COVID. They've known some family members who've had it. Um, they are tested all the time. Uh, you know, and most of the airlines now, and this is what some of the pilots are griping about, they don't want to get the vaccine. Why do I have to get the vaccine if every time I go to on a flight I have to be tested and I have to wear a mask and I have to do all these things we had to do beforehand? And so we kind of talk through that about what's in everybody's best interest. And um, the airlines are probably going to require uh, the pilots be uh, vaccinated. Um so that's where that's where we stand with that. The large majority, I I had one pilot I think that had COVID, but it was very mild, and the only reason he got tested was because his spouse uh, had COVID, and so he went in and was tested. But I don't think, and there's hundreds of pilots, and you would think that I would see more, but I haven't. Well, with the general aviation community, have you seen many of the private pilots, and how are they doing? Um, they're doing well. Um, 
you know, there's more. There's an increased incidence of COVID in general aviation. It's just because it's a different kind of aviator. You know, they're not. You know, they they don't have a structured life going from the airport to their to their jet, going home again. They're out and about. They're working. They're uh, exposed to many many different people. I mean, you have to really look at a pilot's life. It's really very narrow their exposure for the most part if they're very active actively flying, except when they're home. And most of them, when they went home, they stayed home. You know, they weren't going to go. They weren't going to take a risk of being exposed to it. So their exposure has always been walking through those terminals. That's their biggest yeah, exposure. I guess that, that certainly makes sense. Well, just sort of a general question. Our last uh, in a couple of minutes here. Uh, do you feel? I know that most people I know all feel very optimistic. Most people I know are vaccinated. And most people feel that this whole thing is over. Uh, do you share that optimism? Uh, can we look forward to a an autumn and winter of safety? Well, you know, we got the flu season coming up, so don't forget that part. But no, I, I definitely see a light at the end of the tunnel. I think most of us do. Um, as we get, uh, we've gotten a better handle on what we're dealing with and how to deal with it, how to treat it. Um, uh, not as, as not as much anxiety about it as there was initially. I mean, certainly think of where we were this time last year. Uh, people were... I remember, pretty dismal. Yeah, it was horrible. It was just absolutely horrible. I mean, for me, my lifestyle didn't change. I went to work every day. But for other people, they were home. And interestingly enough, when you talk about aviation, a lot of the pilots who hadn't haven't flown for six and eight months, when they're coming, they feel like they said that they're novice again. They say, I, you know, I've got to, I've got to go into training or whatever. I haven't flown in so long, and they are a little anxious about that, which I found uh, found kind of interesting. They've flown their whole lives, some of them for twenty plus years, but sitting home all that time, not doing their job, has uh, has made them more anxious. It's okay. It's okay. It'll yeah, be fine. Turning into rust, rusty pilots. Get rid of that rust. Well, anyway, yeah. Dr. Ann Carroll, thank you for updating us, and we're, we're going to stick with you here as we continue to have uh, COVID out there as being a factor in our lives. See what happens. Thank you again. Thank you again, Nick. Thank you. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these words. Don't go away. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. Cleveland, Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. In the final two segments, we're going to be welcoming a new sponsor to The Advocate, Dr. Kenneth Wolnick, whose office is in Parma Heights on York Road near Pearl. And uh, we're going to talk about what it's like being a dentist and practicing dentistry during this COVID pandemic. Dr. Wolnick, thank you for joining us, and thank you so much for being a sponsor of The Advocate. Well, thanks, Nick. I'm uh, glad to be a part of the show, and I'm glad to be here tonight. Well, thank you so much. And uh, like everyone else, uh, your facet of our lives, being a dentist, was affected like everyone else with the pandemic that we've had for the last almost year and a half now coming up. But uh, tell us about it. What what, what kind of uh, safe way was there to practice dentistry w- with taking into consideration COVID? Well, that's a great question, Nick. Um, Last year, 
our business was shut down like many other businesses were when the pandemic started. Um, and there was a lot of fear um, because nobody really understood the disease and we didn't really understand what was, was going to happen. So the CDC wanted everyone to take a step back and kind of reorganize to see what was, was going to happen going forward. So dental offices in particular were remanded to only seeing patients who needed emergency care. And that was defined basically as treatment that would mitigate pain, you know, so like root canal therapy, possibly tooth extraction, but they were really concentrating on trying to minimize the amount of aerosols that were produced during uh, dental treatment. So you fast forward through that, that eight week time period. And when we were given the green light to come back to the office, the Ohio state dental board in conjunction with the centers for disease control developed a list of best recommendations for uh, safe operation as we return to practice. So, um, we were given uh, some tools to use in terms of screening patients to reduce the potential for exposure in the office. Um, we were given a new list of universal protective gear that they w- wanted us to start wearing. Uh, that included the, the use of face shields and um, other types of coverings to you know, reduce uh, skin exposure. Uh, some offices introduced HIPAA filters and other types of collection units to grab the aerosols that were generated from the, the drills. Um, so there were several things that we put in place to increase safety, make sure that the dental health care personnel were protected as well as the people that we were treating. Did you have any difficulty getting the personal protection equipment that you needed? Did did that interfere with treating patients and having people come in? Actually, it it did. Um, As you know, there was a run on all personal protective equipment once the, the pandemic started. So things like gloves and face masks, um, hospital-grade germicidals, all of those were in very high demand. And we were actually seeing, you know, industries outside of healthcare were now using these types of protective measures when they had never really needed them, you know, before. And it was, it's not uncommon to go to the grocery store and see, you know, those personnel masked up you know, gloved up maybe with, with glasses and, and taking extra time to wipe the carts down and, you know, keep the, the store safe. So we did have difficulty securing the protective gear that, that we needed. And obviously the CDC was grabbing a lot of that available gear and holding it in abeyance for, you know, hospitals and other frontline healthcare personnel to make sure that they were protected as, you know, COVID patients were being seen in the hospital setting. When when you were uh, finally equipped with the proper PPE, 
and seeing mm-hmm. patients again. Uh, did you feel that for you and your staff that it was actually safe to be dealing with the general public who's coming in and, and may or may not have been infected? And that's before there was a vaccine or or any type of medical protection other than the PPE. Uh, correct. You know, the way that I, I brought my staff back was I started seeing patients about a week or 10 days before I brought the um, the rest of the, the staff into the office. And I would say for that first couple of days, um, it did feel a little odd knowing the severity of the disease at that point in time. But I got to say that after we had a chance to, to get in there and start working, each day we all got more comfortable with, with what we were doing. We really felt that the protocols that we put in place were protecting, you know, myself, my staff. And at the same time, we were protecting the people that, you know, came in to see us, uh, you know, make sure that, that we were able to keep them healthy. And I, I also have to say that the response from the patients in our office was remarkable. Um, we had a lot of people that were, you know, 100% supportive of the modifications that, that we had to make. Um, the patients were very eager to, you know, continue coming in for, you know, their, their treatments. Uh, and some of them even even told us that, their visit to my office was one of the few places that they were willing to venture out of their house to to wow. go to, you know, and that actually makes me feel you know pretty good because the patients were the ones that were telling us that they felt safe, they felt secure, they felt protected, and it made them very comfortable coming in to, to see us. Well, I, I felt uh, that way, too. You're almost paranoid. Uh, defining paranoia as having the unreasonable fear of danger or something bad happening. But, uh, you know, with what we were looking at, the pandemic, especially in the early days, that, that wasn't unreasonable fear. It was real fear that I felt just going to a supermarket, looking at people suspiciously that they might be infected and might be uh, giving it to us. So I'm, I'm assuming a whole lot of people, a lot of patients, put off their routine dental checks uh, because of the pandemic for this past year. Are they starting to come back now? Yes. I would say that the majority of the folks that, you know, we care for in, in our office, they were fairly consistent even last year with keeping their their appointments now. I would say probably about a third of the patient base that that we treat elected to delay or, you know, completely cancel their their appointments. And kind of like you were saying, you know, they had very real fears about uh, the nature of the pandemic. They were concerned about their potential for exposure. And I kind of felt like those those fears were, were justified you know, everybody had their, their own approach to, you know, trying to process what was going on, not just here in Ohio, but, you know, just in the world in, in general. And, you know, we tried to be as accommodating as, as possible to let people know that we were available if they needed us. And at the point which they felt, you know, comfortable coming back, that we would welcome them with open arms and hopefully 
um, you know, we'd be able to get him back on track because at that point in time, nobody really knew how long this process was going to take. Mm-hmm. No, that that is for sure. I know that uh, many people thought initially this might be a month or so, maybe even a couple months or several months. But I don't think any of us uh, seriously thought this was going to be a situation for over a year. And I'm thinking from a standpoint of what dentistry is like, at least from a patient's standpoint, is that being a patient, uh, the the idea of dental maintenance and dental hygiene and coming in to see the hygienist periodically to have your teeth cleaned and, and so forth is a big deal to keep your teeth healthy and everything. So I would think that as people were putting off coming into the dentist, that uh, they may have been developing sort of neglect related type dental issues that maybe you're starting to see now. But uh, we're going to come back. We're talking to Dr. Kenneth Wolnick, a dentist who's a new sponsor here of The Advocate. We're very thankful of that. But we're talking about dentistry and what you need to know about being a patient during the pandemic and the COVID times. We'll be back. We're going to take a short break. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on The Advocate. Don't go away. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with our final segment of The Advocate for tonight. We're uh, welcoming our new sponsor, Dr. Kenneth Wolnick, a dentist here in the Cleveland area. And we're talking tonight about COVID-19 and dental problems that might be related to it. So, Dr. Wolnick, again, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Nick. I'm glad to be here. You know, uh, as we were talking in the last segment about uh, COVID and delays coming in for dental treatment, are you starting to see people coming back who have delayed dental treatments for this past year or most of that past year and are having delayed related problems that are maybe a little worse now than they would have been otherwise? Yes, we are starting to see people uh, cycle back into the the practice. Um, You know, we're doing our best to reach out, let them know that that it's safe and if they've been a little bit late getting their their teeth cleaned um you know that we have appointments available to you know to bring them back in um but we are starting to see some issues you know that developed over the the course of the last year uh and among those are an increase in the number of broken teeth that we're seeing you know issues with cracked teeth and we are starting to see really a pretty big increase in the number of folks who are reporting problems with their, their jaw joints. Um, I think as we were all under a tremendous amount of stress over the last year, you know, not just because of the, the pandemic, but, you know, obviously there were things going on with the election and, and uh, a lot of other external stressors, you know, maybe some uncertainty about work future and, you know, being able to, you know, get your basic needs to sustain your life, like food and, you know, clothing and mm-hmm. and personal care needs. Um, as the stress levels increase, one of the ways that human beings tend to, to process that is through increased clenching and, and grinding. And some of the problems that develop because we see more clenching and grinding are issues with cracked teeth and broken teeth and, and pain in the, the jaw joints. 
you know, if those teeth aren't repaired quickly and they're just let go, uh, I would assume things get worse. How badly can that go if, if people have these problems and they're still not coming into their dentist? You know, that's a great question. Um, teeth that crack and break, unfortunately, usually end up with either a root canal or possibly an extraction. You know, there are times where teeth break in ways that we simply cannot repair them. And once that becomes a reality, then the alternative is really to remove the, the tooth, possibly replace it with an implant or a bridge or some other you know, type of removable appliance. Those untreated illnesses lead to increased cost, increased pain. You know, sometimes it becomes more of a, an inconvenience. You got to take more time off work to come in and, and get uh, get that taken care of. So any preventative measures go a long way towards reducing those those bad outcomes. Well, well when, when you're telling me about bad out, outcomes, beside pain, with which people think about when they think of root canals uh, and, and things like that. We're talking about the cost. Um, uh, last I, I heard, I thought root canals were in the neighborhood of around 1000 to 1500 and uh, implants around, what, three, 4000 or more per. Is, is that fairly accurate? That's actually a pretty good estimate. Um, I think for this, this market, you can see those, those treatments approach those those numbers you know regularly and one of the, um, the problems that you run into is that most people's dental benefit plan is capped somewhere between a thousand and two thousand dollars so you often do not see as much help from your you know your dental benefit as you would if it was medical insurance they just don't work the mm -hmm. same the same way well, if there are people out there who are listening who haven't seen their dentist for a year or so, what would you tell them? You know, I think that the best course of action would be to try to get in to see a dentist as, as quickly as possible. I know that there is a tremendous demand for dental care right now, and many practices are very busy trying to catch up the things that we alluded to earlier in the, the broadcast with people who are now just getting back into their, their routine care. So we are seeing a greater demand for our services than we would in maybe non-pandemic non times, which is kind of uh, unexpected. You know, you would, you would think that maybe people would be still kind of hunkered down and, and not really ready to, to venture out yet. But I know that there are, are several practices in the Cleveland area that are, are really very busy right now because we're seeing this this demand now to catch up for you know things that, that people let slide. Well, I, I know, and as I mentioned several times, we're very appreciative of you being a sponsor of the show. But uh, tell us about how would you describe your practice? What are, what are the things you do routinely and things that you somewhat specialize in? I like to focus 
my care on cosmetic rehab treatments for people who have either worn their teeth down or lost teeth over time where they're trying to restore their, their function. Um, you know, we see people who maybe don't like their smile because their upper front teeth have been damaged over time if they're chipped or cracked or broken or if they've had some extensive dentistry done where maybe things don't match as well as they would like anymore. So we go through a, a diagnostic process to try and show somebody potentially what their smile could look like if they went forward with, with treatment. And for a lot of those folks, that can actually be a very transformative experience where we've actually seen people come out of their their shell where maybe they were a little bit more introverted because they were afraid to you know, to smile or if they thought that somebody might make a, a judgment about them because their their teeth were were damaged or, or what have you. And then we're able to transform that, fix their teeth, give them a functional smile that, that's beautiful, that they're proud of, that they're happy with. And then all of a sudden you get this this really amazing person that had been hiding inside for all these these years because they just didn't have a, a means to express themselves. And that's actually pretty powerful to, you know, share that gift with, with somebody that's, you know, trusting you to, you know, guide them through that, that journey. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not mm-hmm. to say that we, we don't handle still basic dental needs. You know, we have a great hygiene team in place. Um, we see patients that, that need all manner of, of care in our office. Um, so we try to help each person develop the smile that they're, they're proud of, the smile that they're, they're happy with, allows them to, to eat the foods that they like, to speak confidently and, you know, show the, the world what makes them, them great. Wow. And I almost think some of that, when you talk about the transformative changes by changing someone from a lousy smile to a brilliant smile, uh, maybe you're guilty of understating the importance of it, but I've seen people who've had these changes and it, the smile is so attached to your personality that mm-hmm. you give them the smile and their smile, their personality is like released and becomes robust. It's amazing. But uh, well, those are things, real, real quick in our, our little time we have remaining, uh, you guys are still using PPE and still staying safe, I assume. Uh, is that working out? Absolutely. Um, my staff goes to great lengths to ensure that the, the office is properly disinfected and sanitized from you know one patient to the next. We are still operating on a, a reduced patient count in the office. Uh, we're trying to follow the guidelines as closely as we can to you know mitigate the, the potential for exposure. Um, it is physically impossible Good. to create you know sterility in a, a dental office, but our you're, you're working. That, yep, we're doing everything we can. We're very, very, very good. Dermicidals and it's it's been good. Excellent. Well, very good. Well, Dr. Kenneth Wolnick, 
sponsor of The Advocate. We're so happy to have you. And thank you for sharing with us uh, how you're performing during these COVID years, COVID months. Let's hope it's not years, just months, and we're almost done. So thank you very much for joining us tonight. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week, same time, same station. So between now and then, have a safe and healthy week. Good night. And I sat and watched the Zanzibar sunset Sat and drank my fresh mint tea With nothing to do until one